0: Welcome to Small Business All Figured Out, a podcast collaboration to give you the right strategies, tips and tools to achieve success in your small business. Small Business All Figured Out is co-hosted by Corinne Cole and Cheryl Cole. Welcome to another special episode of Small Business All Figured Out, where we will be focusing on the JobKeeper payment and what it means for you as a business owner, a sole trader, and by default, an individual taxpayer. There's surprisingly a lot of detail in this JobKeeper legislation. I'm Corinne, the Director and Partner of Platinum Accounting and Taxation, and I'm joined by my co-host, Cheryl. Hello, everyone. I'm Cheryl, a Partner of Platinum Accounting and Taxation, as well as the founder of The Number Ninjas Bookkeeping. And during our last podcast episode, which was episode 14, we did outline what the JobKeeper eligibility requirements are for an employer, an employee as well as self-employed people and sole traders. And what we want to do in this episode is clarify some of the common questions that we're being asked by business clients and employers in this past week about JobKeeper payments and explain what you need to do in a practical sense to access the payments. And the JobKeeper payment, as everyone knows by now, is a wage subsidy that will be paid via the ATO to eligible businesses that are impacted by the coronavirus. And the subsidy will be paid for a maximum period of six months from the 30th of March 2020 up until the 27th of September 2020. It will be paid to eligible businesses monthly in arrears with the first payments to employers commencing from the first week of May 2020. So just to recap, you as the employer will be eligible for the JobKeeper payment if all of the following apply. On the 1st of March 2020, you carried on a business in Australia. You employed at least one eligible employee on the 1st of March 2020. Your eligible employees are currently employed by your business for the fortnights that you plan to claim for, including those who have been stood down or rehired after the 1st of March, and you satisfy the decline in turnover test, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment. So if you're a sole trader, a partnership, company, or trust who does not have employees, you may still be eligible for JobKeeper payment, but again, we'll cover more on that in a moment. So there are employers or businesses that will not be eligible for the JobKeeper payment scheme. And most relevant to our listeners will be a company in liquidation or an individual who has entered bankruptcy. So If you're an employer who is eligible for the scheme, you must notify the ATO of your election to be part of the scheme and you will be required to provide at some point supporting information to demonstrate that you've suffered a downturn of 30% or more in your business turnover. So now let's sort of focus on turnover. What is turnover for the purposes of the JobKeeper payment eligibility? Corinne, can you tell us about that? Okay, so turnover is calculated as it would be for GST purposes, but this does not mean that your business has to be GST registered as such. There's been a lot of confusion around this. There has. So why the reference to GST turnover? Because basically they've taken the definition from the GST Act. So the definition of GST turnover uh, has just been taken from the GST Act to clarify what types of income are picked up for the purposes of working out your turnover. So, at a practical level, we would be inclined to use the method that you as a business owner are using to recognize your income for income tax purposes. It's as simple as that. Right. And and how does a business actually determine that its turnover has declined by at least 30%? or is likely to fall by that amount well there are two tests that businesses can use to substantiate its decline in turnover and one is called the basic test and the other is the alternative test now cheryl do you want to talk us through those because i know you've been on the phone all day talking about these with our clients okay so starting with the basic test now this relies on you being able to reference a relevant comparison period So in order to qualify for the the first two fortnights, which will commence from the 30th of March 2020, you can compare either. So the first one is your GST turnover for the month of March 2020 with your GST turnover for the month of March 2019. So it's your first comparative period. The second is your projected GST turnover for April 2020, as we're only halfway through, With your GST turnover for the full month of April for 2019. And the other option is your projected GST turnover for the June 2020 quarter, so that's April, May, and June, with your GST turnover for the quarter, the June quarter 2019, being April, May, and June. Okay, and how do we safely project and forecast turnover? for April and the months beyond that, Cheryl? That is a good question. And firstly, um, it's important to have accurate bookkeeping and your records up to date. But projected turnover is really going to also have to be based on the facts that are available to you at the time of making your forecast. So you'll need to keep solid and detailed records of all known information that you currently have on hand at this time. So, for example, you may be able to show that contracts or jobs have since been cancelled or that orders have stopped coming in. Okay. And what's the alternative test? So the alternative test is where your business was either not in operation in a year earlier, so in March and April 2019, your business didn't operate, or maybe you did have a business in March or April 2019, but... The income in that period was not representative of your usual or your average turnover, you know, due to other things such as drought or, you know, whatever other reason, but it it simply doesn't show a good representation of what your income normally is. And that will then enable you to uh, use an alternative test. So we don't know the details of the alternative test. We don't know exactly what they are and we'll be waiting on the full or further guidance from the ATO as and when this information becomes available. But the test will be based on additional information that you can provide about your business to demonstrate that you have been adversely impacted by COVID-19. And if you can't qualify for JobKeeper payments using the basic test, we do recommend that you seek some professional guidance to determine your eligibility and determine uh, what information you could potentially draw on to uh, show that you are eligible, because getting this wrong could be a very costly mistake, and we will talk more on that later. So Cheryl, what happens if a business makes a projection of turnover and it turns out to be wrong? Well, this is a very good question. So the question is, will the ATO allow for some margin for error? And we don't know this for certain. So my suggestion is that you should ensure that your estimates are reasonable, that they are conservative, and that they are founded on documented facts because the more evidence that you have to support your position, the better. Ultimately, though, if the estimates are off, I would think a business will be required to repay the subsidy that they really weren't entitled to. Okay. And let's talk about now the reporting obligations for employers. Yes. So what... You talk us through that, Karim. What will be the reporting obligations for employers? Well, the first thing you'll need to do if you're an eligible employer is register your interest in the JobKeeper payment. Now, to be clear, this requirement applies to eligible sole traders, partnerships, trusts and companies who don't have employees as such but do meet the decline in turnover test. Okay. To do this, you can simply Google JobKeeper payment ATO and you'll be taken to the registration page. And by taking this step, you're just expressing your interest in receiving the JobKeeper payment at this stage. And we're told that the actual registration form will be available on the 20th of April. Mm -hmm. And what's really important to know is enrolment must be completed by the 26th of April, if you want to receive JobKeeper payments for the month of April. Right. So if you're intending to claim it from the date it started, the The 30th 30th of March, you have to have completed the enrolment by the 26th of April. And that doesn't really give people much time. It doesn't. You have to act really quickly. Um, And this also requires the business to estimate the number of employees it intends to claim the JobKeeper payment for. So Mm. there's a lot happening in a short space of time. And in terms of other reporting requirements, we understand that there are going to be a range of declarations that will need to be made to the ATO around employer and employee eligibility, uh, decline in turnover, as well as ongoing monthly reporting such as JobKeeper declaration reports to advise on any change in eligible employees and monthly reports to update the ATO about a business's actual monthly turnover and projected turnover for the following month. Right Now, the exact details of the practical reporting obligations aren't yet available to us, but what we do know is that the requirement for ongoing reporting won't impact a business's turnover eligibility test okay what it will do though is provide updated information to the ato to test the reasonableness of your projected turnover at the time you signed up for the jobkeeper program. Mm. And what's interesting is that the legislation states that this monthly reporting information is not intended to verify the accuracy of a business's projection, but rather it's intended to ensure that there's good information on which to assess the economic impact of the coronavirus on a monthly basis throughout Australia. Right. And look, this is probably true, Mm. however, I personally believe that this will be a really good source of real-time data for the ATO to begin conducting some audits. Definitely. And we'll talk about integrity measures and the anti-avoidance rules later on in the episode yeah so look there is going to be extra administrative work involved for those employers and sole traders and self-employed type businesses who enroll for the job keeper program and it will place a lot of responsibility on business owners over the next six months And I think what concerns us is that some businesses still don't even have a monthly accounting process in place and they aren't using computerized accounting software such as Xero. So there are also businesses out there with employees that are not yet using single touch payroll compliance software of any kind. And it's these businesses I think that will struggle the most to access the JobKeeper program and to keep up with the compliance activities that will be required in order to maintain access to the program. Mm, so if, if this does sound like you, if you are one of these businesses who doesn't have systems in place or you're not STP compliant, we really do encourage you to contact us. Yeah, Really quickly. <laughs> Very quickly, <laughs> yes. Okay, so, and speaking of administration and compliance, what else do employers and employees need to do to enrol for the JobKeeper scheme? Okay, so if you're an employer that is eligible to receive JobKeeper payments, you will need to provide all of your employees with a JobKeeper employee nomination notice. Right. And that's for your employees to complete and return to you by the end of April. Mm -hmm. Now, you don't need to actually submit these nomination notices, as far as we know, but you must keep them on file. Okay. By having your employees complete the JobKeeper employee nomination notice, your employees are agreeing to the following... Firstly, they agree to be nominated by you as their employer and participate in the JobKeeper scheme with you as an eligible employee. Secondly, they confirm they have not agreed to be nominated by any other employer. And lastly, they're also agreeing that they do not have permanent employment with another employer if they happen to be employed with you as a casual employee. Then you'll apply for the JobKeeper Payment with the ATO and complete their requisite forms which will naturally include details of your eligible employees. After that, you must advise all eligible employees in writing that you have, in fact, nominated them under the JobKeeper scheme. Now, this step needs to be done within seven days of you applying for the JobKeeper scheme, so it does need to be done by the 4th of May. Mm. And beyond that, you'll have to undertake the monthly reporting obligations with the ATO to reconfirm that your eligible employees have not changed or, of course, to advise of any changes regarding eligible employees. Okay, so can employers who enrol in the JobKeeper scheme pick and choose which employees will receive this JobKeeper payment? No. So once you decide to participate in the JobKeeper scheme as an employer, your eligible employees have agreed to receive the JobKeeper payment from you. Uh, So, you must ensure that all of these eligible employees are covered by your participation in the scheme. Right. So, this includes all eligible employees who are still actively working for you, have been stood down after the 1st of March, or have been terminated after the 1st of March but have been rehired to work in your business. As an employer, you cannot select or cherry pick which eligible employees will be part of the JobKeeper scheme because it's a one in all in rule. Right. But interestingly, the legislation itself doesn't reinforce this. So, if an employer does not have a signed nomination form from the employee, or if the employer does not register them for the for the job keeper payment uh, with the ATO, then that employee will not actually be eligible. So, mm. it's a little bit unclear, and you've got to love an anomaly mm. in the uh, rules. Yes. Um, and what about employees who are on? Leave of some kind. Okay, so if an employee meets the general eligibility criteria, they are still eligible to receive JobKeeper payment even if they're on personal leave, Mm -hmm. even if they're on workers' compensation and still working for you but with a reduced number of hours. Yep. Uh, They're not eligible if they're on workers' compensation and not working for you. Okay. Okay, so they're excluded. And they are eligible if they're being paid parental leave uh, under an employer's scheme, okay, so not the government payments and employer's scheme. Right, um, but if they are being paid parental leave by Services Australia? Yeah, if they're getting the government's paid parental leave, not eligible. Not eligible. Okay. okay. So, Cheryl, what if a business hasn't experienced an immediate decline in turnover just yet but, say, in May or June their turnover decreases by 30% or more? Can that business still enrol in the JobKeeper scheme? The short answer is yes, they can. So the decline in turnover test needs to be satisfied before an entity even becomes eligible for the JobKeeper payment. However, once this occurs, there is no requirement to retest in later months. So if an entity doesn't qualify for the month of April 2020 because its turnover has not been sufficiently affected, i.e. it hasn't dropped more than 30%, it can still test in later months to determine if the test has subsequently been met. So this allows entities that only become affected partway through the six-month period of operation of the scheme to continue to monitor for any decline in turnover until such time as they qualify for the scheme in a later period. Okay, so if a business doesn't qualify based on their March figures or their April figures, and let's say by July, things are looking a little bit sketchy and they're yes. starting to approach that 30% downturn. Yes, Could they then consider enrolling in the program? Absolutely. Okay. So, um, you know, this just reinforces though, how important accurate bookkeeping is for business owners, um, not just in these times, but at all times. And that also business owners don't actually need to panic if they don't yet qualify. But if they do feel that Their business may start to experience a downturn in the upcoming months. Mm. You're not going to miss out just because your figures aren't showing you a decline. Yeah, just because you're not there yet. Yeah. Okay. Now. The next question is, are there any specific rules for casual employees with respect to the job keeper payment? Well, yes, there are. So casuals who have worked for the employer for less than 12 months are not eligible. Okay. Yep. And casuals who are permanent employees of another employer are also not eligible. Right. An example of that might be you're a restaurant owner and you've got some casual employees that do some work of, the, of an evening, um, but they have a permanent job during the day. So they don't qualify under your business. Okay. Right. And this also means that casuals who have been with the employer for 12 months or more are eligible, but the pattern of employment does need to be regular and systemic. So it can't be occasional casual employment and it can't be sort of sporadic casual employment. There has to be a bit of a A a pattern. pattern and regularity around it. Okay. And what about contractors? Are they eligible for the JobKeeper payment? Well, look, genuine contractors obviously won't class as employees. And if that's the case, they may be able to apply for JobKeeper payment within their own entity. Yes. Okay. If they are eligible, but just ensure that you don't accidentally include contractors. Mm. Okay. You'll only end up having to pay it back to the ATO and possibly with interest. Right. And also another popular question is super guarantee. How does that work with the JobKeeper payment? Okay. So super guarantee is payable as normal on all wage payments that are being subsidized through the JobKeeper scheme. However, no super guarantee is payable on any top-up payments to get an employee to that $1,500 per fortnight. So if your employee would normally earn $1,000 gross per fortnight, you will still need to pay them the $1,500 per fortnight under the scheme. However, because they only earn $1,000 a fortnight normally, you only need to pay super on the $1,000, not the $1,500. And what about employees who have been stood down? Yeah, so if you're an employer who's had to stand down some employees not realising that this um, was coming along, the JobKeeper subsidy, uh, you're not required to make super contributions for those employees that remain stood down. Right. And this is because employers have no obligation to pay an employee that's been stood down, so Mm -hmm. you don't have to pay them at all, but you're choosing to. Um, And if, you know, the employer pays a stood-down employee the $1,500 to satisfy the wage condition for receiving the JobKeeper payment, then the entire amount will be disregarded for purposes of superannuation guarantee. Right. And are there any risks to employers who receive the JobKeeper payment in order to pay their staff? And what could those risks potentially be? Yes, there are some potential risks because you as the employer are certifying the facts being provided to the ATO and the claim that's being made. The biggest risk is that none of your employees will actually even qualify if you have not physically paid them two lots of $1,500 by the end of April. So it's no good that you've paid your employees something less than $1,500 per fortnight during the month of April. For example, if you have a staff member that's usually paid $1,200 gross per fortnight, unless you top them up by that extra $300 per pay, to have them paid a gross amount of $1,500 per pay period by the end of April, then no one is going to qualify. And I think this is the hidden danger. This is the, you know, to qualify um, for the back payment for the month of April that will start being paid in May. Yes. That is the determining factor. That's You right. must have paid any staff member, even if $1,500 per fortnight is not their regular wage, you yeah. have to ensure... Yeah. That you have made that payment in order to then pay them the back. That's right. You have to bring them up to that. Um, Conversely, if your employee normally gets $2,000 per fortnight, you still have to pass on that $1,500, but that's included. It's a subsidy. It's subsidizing their $2,000 wage. Correct. Okay. So that just goes towards, so you've met and exceeded the requirement in that case. Yes. Yes there might be instances where a staff member let's say is a full-time worker for you they earn two thousand dollars per fortnight um but you're only in a position to pay them 1500 well that's something you're going to have to sort of look to fair work um and the industry award that they're uh, paid under to see what can be done there that's a separate matter yes um but you don't want to be doing anything that breaches your fair work obligations absolutely um What's another risk? Another risk would be that where you inadvertently pay employees who don't meet the eligibility requirements, Mm. uh, you will be required to pay back the overclaimed amount of the JobKeeper subsidy and possibly with interest on top. And per the legislation, you won't have any ability to claw back those payments from employees who've received the JobKeeper payment from you. Right. So if you get it wrong, it's going to get expensive. Mm. The other risk is in the turnover projection that you make to support your thirty percent or more decrease in revenue. Right. If it's found that you were you as an employer were receiving JobKeeper payments when in fact you should not have been, perhaps your turnover projection was way off and your revenue didn't decline to the extent you thought it would, you will find yourself having to pay back the JobKeeper payment. Wow. If you're a sole trader or a self-employed type of business, you'd find yourself having to pay back the amount of job keeper that you effectively receive for yourself. Um, so that's 13 payments or $1,500. of 1500. Yep. yep. However, if you're a business who employs a number of staff, having to pay back the $1,500 that you received per fortnight per employee is going to get very costly. Mm. So, for instance, if you're an employer with 10 employees and you wrongly pay them the JobKeeper payment for the whole six months, you'll be looking at having to repay $195,000 back to the ATO. And remember, you can't claw it back from the employee. So really check the eligibility of your employees and know your business numbers. You need to know them well. Know them well. Definitely. Okay. And- how and when are the JobKeeper payments actually going to be made to the employer? So the JobKeeper payment is a reimbursement from the ATO to an employer in arrears and cannot be paid in advance in any circumstances. Right. And I know that this is going to cause difficulties, particularly for this um, month of April. Yes. um, But they're the rules as they stand as we know it. Okay. Okay. I will stress this again, employers are only eligible to receive the JobKeeper payment on behalf of eligible employees for whom they have paid the full $1,500. This means employees need to have been paid two lots of 1500 by the end of April, as we just said, and ongoing, you must forward on that whole $1,500 per fortnight per employee. Okay. So even if that employee normally earns $800 a fortnight, the full 1500 per fortnight for that employee must be forwarded and paid on to that employee. That's right. It's also important to note that the $1,500 is not over and above what an employee would ordinarily earn. So if an employee normally works 10 hours a week, let's say, or 10 hours a fortnight, whatever it might be. They don't get paid that plus the $1,500. No. This $1,500 subsidizes whatever they would normally get paid. Yes. I just wanted to clarify that one as well. Okay. And when and how are the job keeper payments made to employees? So an employer must pay $1,500 per fortnight for the periods commencing. So the fortnightly periods commencing the 30th of March, 2020. And a back payment to the 30th of March can be made during the month of April, as we've mentioned. Yes. So that you're eligible to receive funds or reimbursement from the government. Yes. And there is no requirement for any payment to your employers who were stood down up to the 30th of March. So I just want to give an example here. If you were a gym or a pub or a nightclub or something that was forced to close at the government's direction on the 23rd of March, you, if you stood your employees down, you were under no obligation to pay them anything from the 23rd through to the, the 30th. 30th. Okay. So that doesn't preclude you from applying for the JobKeeper program and being eligible to receive those payments. So long as the $1,500 per fortnight for the month of April has been paid. Yes, we keep repeating it, but Mm. it is critical. It is critical to this um, program. Okay, so the Active Business Participant Measure. Cheryl, can you tell us what that's all about? Because this this answers uh, the burning questions we've had from sole traders. Yes, it does. Yes. So some businesses will operate as a sole trader or through a company or a trust or a partnership. So the government is effectively allowing one individual within these business types who is not an employee on wages, they're allowing this person an entitlement to the JobKeeper payment, even where that entity employs other staff on wages and salaries. So for example, sole traders and businesses operating through a company or a trust or a partnership can enroll in the scheme, of course, if they meet the eligibility requirements by registering their interest and then completing further details once the forms become available on the 20th of April. So as a sole trader or a company or a trust or a partnership, you'll be asked to provide the ABN of your business. The name of the person to receive the payment. So, presumably, if you're a sole trader, you would quote your ABN, and then you would provide the name of yourself to receive the payment. Nominate yourself, and you would then provide your personal tax file number as well. So, you'll need to satisfy the business revenue reduction test of 30% decline, of course, um, that we've already spoken about, and you'll be subject to the ongoing monthly reporting obligations. So. An eligible sole trader or one individual of a trust, a company or partnership can also receive the $1,500 per fortnight in respect of themselves, provided that they are actually actively engaged in the business. Okay, Cheryl. So let's go through some examples. So for instance, you might be a sole trader graphic designer. You've noticed that your income has dropped by more than 30%. Yes. You... Even though you don't pay yourself a wage as a sole trader because Because you can't, you you are still eligible to apply for the JobKeeper payment to get your $1,500 per fortnight. Correct. Even though you have not been paying yourself anything, you are still eligible. That's right. So let's say you're a sole trader with employees. Obviously, if your decline in turnover is more than 30%, your employees will be eligible for JobKeeper payment through you, and you yourself will be eligible to apply and receive it as well. Let's look at a partnership. So we have two partners of a partnership running a business of some sort. They do have employees, but partners of a partnership can't employ themselves. Correct. Those partners, unfortunately, are not both eligible for the $1,500 per fortnight. Their employees are, but they aren't. They must choose one. Only one partner of a partnership is eligible. Right. So, another example could be a trust. You may operate through a trust, you do not employ yourself within the trust. You may also work in the trust with people in your family, and none of you are employed by the trust on wages, you are instead all potential beneficiaries of that trust. Now, again, only one beneficiary of that trust can be nominated to receive the job keeper payment. So even if you had yourself, your husband and two children working in the business, all beneficiaries, only one can be nominated as the JobKeeper recipient. And it's very similar for a company as well. Correct. Only one non-salaried director or shareholder is eligible for the JobKeeper payment, Um, and they have to be an active participant of the business. That applies to all structures, whether it's the the trust beneficiary, whether it's the company director, um, the partner in the partnership, you must be actively involved in the business. That's right. And as we just mentioned earlier, for these types of individuals and businesses, there is no requirement for a minimum $1,500 payment to be made to them as they are not classed as employees. When the relevant individuals are nominated, you'll need to provide the bank account details of that individual and the JobKeeper payment will actually be made directly to them from the ATO. Now, Corinne, are there any integrity measures that have been put in place around the JobKeeper payment? Yes, there are. So businesses, individuals and entities that deliberately enter into a contrived arrangement with the dominant purpose of reducing their turnover in order to gain access to the JobKeeper payments will not be entitled to the payment and if they're caught, general interest charges will apply on the overpaid amount that they're going to have to repay. In addition, significant administrative as well as criminal penalties are also likely to apply to the parties involved in such schemes. Mm. You, as the employer, are certifying all information that's provided to the ATO. It's your obligation to assess employee eligibility based on the information they give you, of Mm -hmm. course. It's your obligation to advise the ATO of any changes in your circumstances. We have no doubt that audit reviews will certainly ensue from the COVID-19 pandemic period. Definitely. No doubt about that. Data will definitely be cross-referenced with Services Australia. And data matching with other agencies will certainly be undertaken to identify false claims or ineligible employees, such as those who are not holding the appropriate visas and residency status. And to wrap up the podcast, how is the JobKeeper payment handled in the books of a business? Okay. So if you're entering this into your Xero file, your MyOB file or whatever system you use, it is recorded as accessible income without GST. Right. It's as simple as that. Excellent. So that does bring us to the end of this special episode, which has outlined the details of how you as an employer will determine your eligibility for the JobKeeper payment, the need for $1,500 physical wage payments that must be made to your employees in the two fortnights in April and all fortnights beyond in order for your employees to be eligible for the JobKeeper payment the registration process and the documentation that will need to be completed by you and your employees, how to assess whether you have satisfied the decline in turnover test, which is the basic test and the alternative test, your monthly reporting obligations to the ATO over the next six months, household traders and other self-employed type individuals can go about registering for the JobKeeper payment, and of course, the integrity measures that will ensure fair access to the JobKeeper scheme. If you like this episode, please subscribe to Small Business All Figured Out. And if you know someone else who will get value out of it, please go ahead and share it. You can find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for listening and bye for now.